we all know what generosity is. Generosity is when the haves give to the have-nots. It's the billionaire pledge, the big gift, the big check. It's stewarding your time, talent, and treasure wisely to share the excess with others. But if we have the right map, why can't we find our way? Christians tithe a far smaller share of their income today than they did during the Great Depression. For all the calls to stewardship and radical giving in recent decades, our wealth has skyrocketed, debt has expanded, and giving has plummeted. The Bible presents a much grander, richer vision of generosity. Generosity is central to the heart of God. It's not about money, and it's not about me. We're created in the image of the greatest giver in the universe. Everything we have is a gift. God made us by and for generosity. J.I. Packer calls generosity the focal point of God's moral perfection. God gave us life so that we could give life to one another. God gave us Christ so we could give Christ in us to others. This means generosity is not merely a luxury of the rich. It stands at the heart of our creation, our salvation, our purpose. That's why generosity is about so much more than money. Financial stewardship is not the capstone, but merely the groundwork of a generous life. If stewardship is like the law, generosity is like grace, surprising, extravagant, and always overflowing our petty calculations of what's possible, prudent, and deserved. The generous giver does not build himself up. He lays himself down to lift up another. Jesus did not just give us things. He gave himself to us and reconciled with us. Christ-like generosity is never merely transactional. It's relational. It's not just sending food to the tables of the poor. It's inviting the poor to our tables. And when we've learned to love deeply, relational generosity becomes sacrificial generosity. Like Christ, we make ourselves poor to make others rich. So what if we truly began to give our first and finest, not the least in leftover? What if we took righteous risks for a kingdom harvest? What if we tore down the walls and gave ourselves one to another? What if we were less intent on building a legend of greatness than forming a legacy by making others great? What if we gave not only our excess, but our essence, helping men and women become who God made them to be? See, generosity is not an obligation, but an invitation, an invitation to participate in God's redemption of all things and to know the great joy of the great giver as we live the life that's truly life. Well, good morning again. And uh, we, uh, this last week, began a new series, as you can tell. And uh, we've entitled this More. Uh, if you're new, there's a part of me that, uh, that wants to apologize, uh, like kind of maybe give a caveat, because if you're anything like most people, money in the church is almost kind of cliche. Uh, you text a donation to a prayer line and receive answered prayer, you know. If he doesn't answer prayer, then what? You didn't give enough or all that kind of different stuff. Support a ministry and then watch leadership live in extravagance. So it's almost kind of cliche when we start talking about money and when we start talking about the church. At the same time, if you've been around, and, and I want to make sure we understand, this isn't something that we go over every single Sunday, right? We don't, we don't discuss this every single Sunday. However, in my first year as your pastor, 
I think it's important for me to, to set a little bit of a pattern in under, understanding of biblical stewardship and how we operate as a church and just a general understanding when it comes to how I personally even operate financially. Uh, and all that to say this, uh, proportionately, we don't spend a lot of time on this every year, but my hope is that you'll hang with me through the end of this series. You're going to see why it's an important thing to talk about every single year. So today, we're talking about the priority that we give to the management of the finances that God entrusts to us. We're talking about more priority. It's not an issue of more money, it's more priority. Last week, we talked about more perspective. We need God's perspective. It's online. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, but this whole series is really built on this premise that we generally believe that when it comes to money, the answer is more. <laughs> we need more money. Um, now, I want to make sure that you understand there are some people for whom income disparity is a real problem. It is a real problem. I don't want you to think that I'm dismissing that. There are systemic things in place today, factors at, place, at play, and there are people on the planet today who for them literally... The issue of more is an issue of life and death, okay? So, so there is genuine, genuine need. But for many, particularly in North America, for many of us, it's not generally an income problem. And I, again, that's, that's a generalized statement. I want to make sure you understand. I don't lump everybody together. But for a lot of people, it's not necessarily an income problem. It's a stewardship problem. It's a stewardship issue. And there's that word again, stewardship. Okay, so what is that? What is stewardship? So steward really ultimately is defined as somebody who manages another person's assets or value. That's pretty basic, isn't it? Somebody who manages the assets of another person on their behalf. So someone who's entrusted with something of value to use wisely in accordance with the desires of the person it actually belongs to. So in fact, even as we take an offering in the church or we give, we're actually just returning to God what's his already. We're just stewards of what he puts into our lives, which makes the following passage really, really pointed. It's Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, <clears throat> what that says to me is that if you're not a good steward, if you're not a good steward of the, the resources that God puts into your life, you will drift 100% of the time towards trouble. I, I can almost guarantee it. You will drift towards trouble 100% of the time. We need a plan, a plan of priority. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that. This is really practical today. Uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to lay a bunch of stuff out for you. Now, we need to make sure we acknowledge also that uh, nothing really is a priority in your life until you plan for it to be a priority in your life. Okay, uh, some of you all are training for a marathon right now. I was, not anymore. But uh, uh, the bottom line is running a marathon is not your priority until you plan for it to be your priority. There's no showing up the day of the marathon thinking, I can do this. And you've not planned your life around making that a priority. There's a lot of things that need to go into play for you to be able to do that. So it's about making it a priority. So if you do not plan to be a good steward, I need to be honest with you, uh, this message probably is not going to mean much to you. If it's not in your heart, if it's not your desire to honor God in this way, this might not mean much to you. Um, maybe next week will go better. I don't know. Probably not. But 
that's really hopeful here at the beginning of the sermon, isn't it? For me to, to kind of lay that out there. Uh, some of you, some of you know that when it comes to finances, you got to come up with a plan, that you need a plan. But I also know that there's some of you who might think, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. Seriously, Rich, you're spending all this time on this. You're going to say a lot of the same things over and over and over again. Listen, my money comes in. I cover my bases. Sometimes they have a little left over. I'm good. So I, I don't understand why, I, why this is for me. There's an inherent problem built into that mentality, though. It's not your money. It's not mine either. It's not even the church's money. It's, it's his. So the, the issue is not whether or not you have enough to cover your bases. The issue is coming to an understanding of where that comes from to begin with. I want you to think about this. Talking about trusting a steward to manage what's been placed into their life. So you walk into your bank, you go up to the teller, and you say, hey, I just need a balance statement. I, I need to check my balance, make sure I understand where I'm at. And the teller says, oh, we don't keep track of that. I mean, we, I can look at my screen, and we know you make deposits, and we make you some withdrawals and stuff, but we don't really, you know, we, we don't really know what your balance is. It would take you a hot minute to figure out what bank you're going to go to next, wouldn't it? Because those people are not being very trustworthy with what you've entrusted them with. They're not being good stewards. Are you catching on? Okay, so the question is, have you made stewardship of God's resources a priority? That's the question. Do you have a plan? All right, like I said, this is going to get like super fundamental and super basic and super practical. So here we go. I've tried to come up with a different way to communicate this. And honestly, I just keep coming back to the way this was communicated to me, which is so simple and so easy. And so I thought, why would I even remotely reinvent the wheel? So here we go. You have three buckets. And bucket number one is give. Bucket number one is give. Planned, write this down somewhere, planned, priority, percentage giving. Planned, priority, percentage giving. Okay, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits." of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. We are told to honor God off the top. That's just, that's all there is to it. That's not my idea. Uh, that's, that's scripture. Uh, we're told to honor God off the top. Make it a priority. Many people give out of what's left over. Leftovers. And God tells us you need to reverse that. Okay, leftovers are what you give to a dog. So from a priority perspective, giving is the first line item of your, are you ready? I mean, are you sure? It's the first line item of your budget, the B word. Okay, don't worry, we're going to come back to it. I know you're excited. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2 says this, now about the collection for God's people, do what, you, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. There it is. It's right there, planned. On the first day of the week, priority, set aside, and percentage in keeping with his income. Priority, planned, percentage. Second Corinthians 8.12 says this, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to, what, according to what one has, 
not according to what he doesn't have. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Okay? God loves a cheerful giver. We give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have, which sounds kind of common sense, right? But I want you to think about this before we move on. <clears throat> I'm going to throw some statistics on the screen. Excuse me. <clears throat> according to Pew Research, 36% of American adults say that they attend religious services weekly. 36% of American adults. Now, that's just not Christian churches. That's Muslim. That's, that's Jewish. So there, there are all kinds of people that are relig attend religious services weekly. It's about 36%. What's really interesting is that in the last five years, that's gone down four percentage points. So it used to be 40% of American adults attended religious services weekly. Now it's down to 36% in five years. So it's a downward trend. But of that 36%, 3 to 5%, only 3 to 5% of that 36% actually gives based on what we're talking about right now. Priority practices that we're looking at today. Now, probably I think what is most revealing in this research is it's not the wealthy who participate most in proportional giving. The statistics actually suggest that people who are lower income are, tend to be more likely to give a percentage of their income as opposed to those in middle and upper class. I think that's really telling. When Shelly and I were first married and eating a lot of pot pies, um, we committed to 10% of what we made. That was the commitment. Now for Shelly, Shelly grew up in a pastor's home. So for her, this was like, it was no big deal for her. It was just a continuation of what she always knew and always heard and, and all that kind of stuff. For me, yeah, it wasn't that easy, okay? wasn't that easy, particularly when I was the one in charge of the budget and I saw how much we didn't have when I was doing our budget. Now, this summer, last, actually this last week, we celebrated 25 years married. And God has enabled us to do that consistently without missing a beat for that entire 25 years. God has enabled us to do that. But I want to tell you, it did not happen by accident. And it didn't happen because we had a bunch of money. That's not why it happened. It happened because we had a plan. And we had committed to be good stewards of what God put in our lives. So the first bucket is plan, priority, percentage, giving. The second bucket is this, save. Save. Okay, so Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. So in biblical days, I mean, that, it feels like that's lost on us, choice food, oil, all that kind of different stuff. But in biblical times, the way you saved for the future was grains and perfumes and oils. You kind of created that stockpile as an asset pile that you would be able to use in the future. Today, you could say it this way. In the households of the wise are savings accounts, but the foolish man just spends everything he gets. Spends everything he gets. Now, again, just to be sure we're clear here, when I say save, when that bucket says save, it does not mean, dude, I saw these shoes, and they were 20% off. And so, I mean, I would be like throwing money away if I didn't buy them. So I, I saved and now I look super fly. I look awesome, okay? I'm not talking about a discount. 
I'm talking about not spending it to begin with. Not spending it to begin with. And to do that, there's this crucial, crucial decision that you've got to make. That you're going to live on less than your income. I know what I just said, okay? But it's a decision. It's a decision. You live below your income. So I like coffee, love coffee. I adore coffee. So let's talk about Starbucks. I'm going to pick on Starbucks a little bit. Now, now I'm really messing with stuff, right? I'm really messing. Okay. A white chocolate mocha venti. That's a mouthful. A large venti is $4.75 at Starbucks. $4.75. Now, let's say instead of going to Starbucks every day, instead you decide to brew your own coffee, add your own foo-foo to it, and instead of $4.75, just $4. Just $4. You put $4 into a savings account. You set it aside every single time you would have gone to Starbucks, every single day. If you're 25 and you did that, by the time you're 65, that's $58,400. Almost 60 grand. You're like, okay, Doring, seriously. I don't go to Starbucks every day. Fair. Cut it in half. It's still 30 grand. $30,000. Now, listen closely. We have a coffee shop here with this church, so I'm not saying don't go buy coffee. I'm not telling you that. In fact, I want you to look at this here. You buy a bag of coffee at our coffee house, it plants a tree in Haiti, a coffee tree for farmers. And our, our agreement and our arrangement with, with coffee farmers in Haiti is pretty amazing. If you don't know anything about it, stop by the coffee shop. They are happy to fill you in. We've got material, all kinds of different stuff. But the bottom line is, we literally buy coffee directly from these farmers and these farmers are treated very very well they're paid exactly what they should be paid which is not the situation in most countries okay so we have that arrangement now on a side note here and this just happened the last couple days if you've been watching the news you know 7.2 earthquake happened in haiti and uh, this is actually worse than the earthquake that happened in 2010 and right now they just don't know how many people have died in this earthquake so uh, Dale Mish, who's uh, in charge of our coffee house, and Chandra and I, we've been working out what we can do. And so between now and the end of August, all of the proceeds from the coffee shop, the coffee house, are going to go to Nazarene Compassionate Ministries in Haiti to aid with earthquake recovery and to deal with some things down there. Plus, you can even make more donations in the coffee shop after we're done. So here's what I expect to see. All of us flood the coffee shop. They can see the live feed right now in the coffee shop. So between the two services, Dale, get ready. Can you hear me? <laughs> We're going to come flood the coffee shop, buy some coffee, and make some donations to bless Nazarene Compassionate Ministries in Haiti, who are literally on the ground. I actually had a Zoom conversation with the Compassionate Ministries Director of Haiti about a month ago, and uh, talking about what it looks like around the area where the farms are, where we get our coffee and stuff like that. So I know that they're scrambling right now. We have the ability to bless them. All of that to say, I know I'm talking about making fun of Starbucks and 475 coffee. Go buy some coffee from the coffee house. Okay, you know where that money goes. All right, now, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, that's kind of silly. Let me ask you a question. So 30 grand, right? We cut that in half, 30 grand. How many of you are ready right now to cut a check for 30 grand for coffee? Okay, so why am I sharing this with you? 
because we got to ha- get some perspective on this. We have to come to an understanding. You know, I, maybe you're the kind of a person that can bat an eye at 30000 That ain't me. That ain't me. Average credit card debt in the United States is $6,270. That's the average credit card debt. Right now, 40% of U.S. adults have less than $300 to their name. 40% have less than $300 to their name. Another 40%, only 40% of the American public can cover an emergency of $1,000 or more. Okay. This one, yeah. 70% of U.S. adults have working as a part of their retirement plan. You know that that's called? Not retirement. Okay. 70% of adults have working built into their retirement plan. Now, I want to say this again. I share those numbers and all that stuff. I'm not trying to shame anybody. I don't want, to, I don't want anybody to be like, well, you don't know my story, Rich. You don't get it. I don't, I don't want you to feel that way. Listen, I grew up in a household that benefited uh, multiple times and depended multiple times on government assistance programs in order to make it uh, for food. Uh, in, in early in our marriage, Shelly and I participated in WIC. Do you know what WIC is? Women's, Infants, and Children. It's a government-subsidized program that uh, allows families like us to have milk and to have peanut butter and to have some cheese and eggs. And when, you're, when you have gigantic children like we did and huge babies, formula, and I don't know if you bought formula lately, it is powdered gold. It is powdered gold, okay? And that enabled us. If it wasn't for WIC, if it wasn't for a government program in our lives, I'm not sure how we would have made it a couple of times because we needed that so desperately. So I, I get that. I empathize if you're at that place in your life, if you've been dealt that hand in life. And so there are people who, who have little resource. And we'll talk about some tools here in just a bit. But I want to make sure that you understand I empathize with you and I get it. I get it. That being said, we need to move into that third bucket. And that third bucket is live. Live. Ecclesiastes 5.19, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. The Bible says, provide for your families, enjoy living on the income from your employment. It is okay to have a meal out. It is okay to go on vacation. It is okay to buy a house. It is okay to drive a cool car. It is okay to look fly in your cool new shoes. It is okay to do all of that stuff. That's not the issue. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. That is not the issue. The issue is, unless, unless you prioritize this in the right order, then those things are not going to bring much joy to you in your life. It only works when you live a prioritized life on less than you make. Be generous to God's kingdom, and you're saving wisely. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, with everything for our enjoyment. Can I tell you a secret? It is actually more enjoyable. It is more satisfying to choose not to consume than to consume. 
I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm completely aware of what I just said. That means you actually have to deny yourself. You have to tell yourself no, some self-discipline. You have to do some adulting. You have to do all of that. But there's serious contentment in living this way. There's peace in living this way. Those are the three buckets. I told you this is really practical today. So give, save, live. That's it. Give, save, live. So that's kind of a plan, but there's a kind of a backside of this plan too. To take it one step further in practicality, let me suggest this specific plan for you to consider to put all of this together. 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. You first of all decide that you're only going to live on 80% of your income. This is just an idea, okay? So don't shoot the messenger here. Seriously, Rich? 80%? I'm having a hard time living on 100% of my income. And you're telling me live on only 80% of my income? To which I would say, do you have a plan? Do you have a budget? Do you have a budget? There it is, that B word. Uh, Shelly and I live on less than 80%. We live on less than 80% and never not once have I ever gone to bed at night feeling slighted by Jesus. It's just never happened. The first 10%, that goes to God, planned giving, then 10% to savings. That's a suggestion, okay? That's a suggestion. Sometimes when giving is talked about, and I, I want to cover a couple things really quick. Sometimes when we talk about giving in the church, we challenge people to make a commitment to give, to make a commitment. Maybe we would pass out a card to you and there'd be a box that you check on. I'm going to commit to give the first 10% of my income to God in a, in a tithe. And you check the box and you write your name on it. And then we'd play some music. And maybe you come up here, put your cards face down on the altar and kind of as a, as a step of commitment and all that stuff. And I think there's a time and a place for some of that. Other times, sometimes when we talk about giving in church, we talk about a challenge. Like we want to challenge you to test God in this. And we want to challenge you to fill that out, and it's your 90-day guarantee. We want to challenge you to give 10% of your income for 90 days. And then if at the end of 90 days you feel like it's caused undue harm to you to give to God first, priority giving, percentage giving, then we will return your money to you. I have a problem with that. And my first problem with that is we're not, we're not having a transaction. This isn't a transaction. We don't give to the church for services and goods received. That's not, that's not giving, okay? That's buying. Let's be honest. That's purchasing. I've given money because I'm purchasing what you're producing for me. I don't, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, I see Jesus show up and overturn money changers in the temple, okay? Because they had the whole thing twisted. So, that one, yeah, that's, that's, that's not me at all. Um, I'm an idealist. And I've been around a lot of you long enough at this point to kind of get a sense that uh, you're all pretty serious about seeing finances through God's lens. Would that be fair? I feel like you guys are all pretty convictional about that. So in the end, here's my thought. You're either going to do it or you're not. You're either going to do it or you're not, regardless of a little piece of paper, regardless if I formalize some kind of a challenge. 
I want to encourage you to do it. I want to encourage you to do it. You won't regret it. Uh, the second thing I want to make sure uh, that I make clear, and again, I, don't, I won't talk about this all the time, and, and not even every year I probably won't talk about this, but right up front, there's a certain practice that I do as a pastor that I want to make sure that you're aware of. But there are some exceptions to this every once in a great, great, great while, but ultimately I've stuck pretty tight to this probably about two or three years after I entered the ministry. So probably about 2000, 2001, I made a very, very conscious decision. I felt like it was the way God was leading me. So this is the decision I made. There's only one person in our church right now that I know how much they give. And it's me. I do not know how much any of you give. Now, the only twist to that, and I'll be honest with you, is if you're nominated for a church board position or if you're serving on staff in this church, I go through some checks and balances, but even then I don't know the number. I work through our counters who are, who are swear through a blood oath for confidentiality. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I ask them about proportional giving and all that kind of different stuff uh, because if you're going to sit in a decision-making board about how this church is a good steward, you're going to be one. You're going to be one. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't know how much you give. I don't know how much you give. I made that decision for a very specific reason. People do weird stuff with money. And they attach it to all kinds of interesting motives to it as well. I'm not for sale. <laughs> My decision-making process is not influenced by whether or not somebody gives a certain amount or not. That's just not how I roll, and it's really not been how I've ever rolled. I hope that's okay with you. Uh, I want to make sure that I treat everybody equally. And there's, there's a little bit of a mentality in the church, particularly in the world of, of pastors, where, and I've heard this before, well, you know, that's really a litmus test for how people are doing spiritually, and if you don't know whether or not people are giving percentage-wise, you don't really get that window into their lives about how they're doing spiritually. Listen, I also don't know what you're looking at at your phone at 11 o'clock at night. I also don't know how you're treating your wife when all the doors are closed and nobody sees. There's a whole lot I don't know, okay? I'm trusting that God's working in your heart and using the Holy Spirit to do that. All of that to say, I want to make sure that you understand that when I approach subjects like this, I approach them with, hopefully you'll see clear motive and pure motive and intent. I'm interested in building disciples, not givers. Giving is a byproduct. We build disciples in this church who understand what real life truly looks like. Okay? Now, I told you this last week, we're going to do this really quick, but uh, I'm going to ask Chandra Ostrander to come up. Chandra is our operations director. It is one thing to challenge you. It is completely something else to give you the assurance that this church handles finances with integrity. She's going to share with you where the church is financially right now. This is six months into our church year. We're not normal. Normal people would start the church year on January 1. We start on March 1st just because we want to be unique. Uh, but uh, we're about six months into our church year right now. And so she's going to share just where we're at, some other information. Then I'm going to share a couple of resources after she's done, and then we'll, we'll close. So. All right, well, good morning.
hopefully on the way in, you were able to grab one of these brochures that kind of gives you just a little bit of a highlight about it. That's what I'm gonna be going over today. Um, so I know that when I give, one of the things that's most important to me is where is the money going? How is it being handled? Who's making the decisions about where the money's going? Um, and what kind of a checks and balances do they have in place when they're managing that? And so those are really important questions to me as a giver. And so I wanted to start by kind of answering those and giving you some information about that. So the decisions that are made about how we spend our money are done at the board level. So we create a budget as a staff that says, here's what we need to be able to do our ministry effectively. This is what it needs to run the building, to manage the facilities, to pay our staff. And then we present that to the board who then um, approves, makes changes, um, and sends that back. And then that's how the staff then throughout the year are able to um, spend or do different things or projects um, is based on what the board has already approved. And so um, all of that is done with intentionality. Um, it's a plan and we stick to that and they measure that every month and make sure that we're on track with our budget. Sometimes there are expenditures that happen that are outside of the budget. And so anytime that that would happen, we would go back to the board for approval for those as well. Um, the internal controls that we have in place is we have different people who actually um, reconcile the books versus who puts the transactions in. So there's a separation of duties there. Um, we have limited signers on the account that are reviewed um, with the bills. Um, and then everything that is um, done is on a conservative basis. So we're not budgeting based on future, um, you know, anticipated growth or some lofty goal. Um, everything is based on previous historical financials and um, industry standards for our area. So if we go um, to the next slide on our budget, our annual budget for this year is $799,000. Our fiscal year starts on March 1st and runs through February 28th, so we've just finished five full months. Um, and so I gave you a percentage here of how our full budget breaks down. 41% is, is spent on staffing, and that covers uh, the salaries for the staff here at the church. Um, ministry, and the administration of that ministry is 22.5%. So that includes things like our kids and student ministry areas, our events like the back to school fair, um, assistance that we help people with, um, doing baptism, Easter, Christmas, our normal Sundays, that's all covered in ministry. We spend, um, or we send 12.5% to our denomination so we are a part of the Church of the Nazarene, and so as a part of that, we support missionaries um, in foreign countries. We support our district superintendent, who was extremely helpful while we were looking for a new pastor. Um, we send money to Olivet to help train future church leaders and pastors. Um, and then we also help pay for pensions um, for retired pastors of the Church of the Nazarene. And so all of that together is 12.5%. 19% is budgeted for facilities. Um, and so one of the things I thought that was interesting that you might wanna know is that we have 19 HVAC systems. And I tell you that because I didn't know that I needed to know so much about HVAC until I worked here. Um, but 
when the building was added on in different sections, all of those heating and air units were put in at the same time, which means when they break, it's usually all at the same time. And so um, those can be really expensive. Um, we also have an elevator that requires maintenance and a, a contract. We own two parsonages um, on the backfield. We own a lot of acres here, I think like 10 acres. And so maintaining the land, the plowing, the parking lot, the roof, um, all of those things are into that facilities as well. Um, and then for debt, we have a very small amount of debt on the building. Uh, right now our outstanding balance uh, is $252,000 that we have left on that. So consistent giving makes this possible and that allows us to maintain the month-to-month -month expenses that go on here at the church. Right now our giving is at 94% of what we have budgeted, um, which is actually very good because we were budgeting coming out of COVID and not really knowing what that was gonna look like or how many people were gonna return. And so I feel like we're really good on track with that. But what I need to tell you is that we have a lot of deferred needs that we have not taken care of. Um, when, um, when I started looking through our, our facilities and I talked about that a little bit, there are, um, our parking lot has weeds that are growing through it and you'll see like the striping is really old. It really needs to be redone, but it, that is a really hefty dollar amount. And so we've just been trying to Band-Aid buy um, for the past 10, 15 years. Um, and we haven't really done the proper work to that. The same is true for parts of the roof in the building. Um, and so each year with the budget, that budget covers just our operating um, with a little bit set aside for emergencies. Um, we have not been able to plan far ahead in the past um, to handle these big needs. And so those are going to come in future years and we're just gonna have to um, and handle that. But I just wanted to kind of tell you that. So that's our normal operating. We're at 94%. Um, our coffee house, as um, Rich mentioned, um, supports Haiti with everything that they're doing, but they are also self-sustaining. So none of the operations of that 799 goes to take care of the coffee house. So all of the supplies, the equipment, the syrups, the coffee, everything that they buy is based on what comes in. So that is, um, they take care of themselves that way. Um, we also have been able to rent out unused space during the uh, week to Portage Preschool. So we get a little bit of income from that as well. And then I just wanted to give you some um, information on how to give. If you um, haven't downloaded our app yet, you can scan that QR code on that brochure and give that way. In that app, you can also see your giving history. You can sign up for events that we have. You can um, see groups that are available. You can sign up for life groups that way. So everything in that church center app is where we would um, love to push everyone through. We still have the ability to give here in the service um, if you write a check and we have giving boxes on the walls for that. And um, you can also text or give on through our website as well. Thank you. So there's a lot of people involved in that process. We've got people who uh, count, obviously when the offering comes in, different things like that. There's a lot of people that work behind the scenes from an accountant to the stuff that goes on in our office as well as Chandra, and Chandra's really got the pulse of all of this. So would you thank all of them and Chandra again for everything that they do? 
good. We want to make this a habit, okay? We want to be able to share this information with you uh, halfway through the year and at the end of the year, every year, so, uh, so that you understand where we're at, where we're going, and uh, how what you're giving is being used to further the mission of the church. And uh, I did mention earlier, I wanted to share just a couple of resources with you. You'll see them on the screen. The first is, and we're going to talk about debt next week. You're welcome. I know you're super excited, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Consumer Credit Counseling Services in Northwest Indiana. If you want to take a picture of that, uh, we might even put it on, on Facebook. They do an excellent job working with anybody in regards to where you're at to get you a plan to tackle the debt that you might be having that's prohibiting you from living kind of free. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. The other one is WIC. You'll see a link there. Uh, women's, Infants, and Children. Again, if you've not checked that out, and you might be thinking, oh, do I really have that need? Let me tell you a little secret there. When Shelly and I went to the WIC office when we were younger and we were having babies, um, we kind of felt like, man, there's probably other people that need this more than us. And the very thing that they said to us, we have funds left over at the end of the year because people aren't taking advantage of it. And so we felt a little bit more comfortable doing that at that point. We didn't want to be taking an opportunity away from somebody else. The bottom line was there weren't the very many people taking advantage of it. And like I said, formula is powdered gold. And so uh, it will help. And so if you're in that situation, I would encourage you to check out WIC. There's no shame in that at all. It's there for, for you to, to be able to get ahead and deal with what you need to deal with. The other one is, and I, I have this in your outlines, and I had it in your outline last week, crown.org. If you go to crown.org, Crown Financial, they are a Christian stewardship organization that is bent on helping you be able to budget, be able to plan, be able to do all that we're talking about here. And uh, they actually have a, a page, resource-stewardship, if you scroll down on the right-hand side, there's all kinds of tools. There's budget outlines. There's how to get out of debt, you know, debt snowball stuff. There's, there's all kinds of different things. I'd really encourage you to check that out. Check that out. And if you're married, sit down at some point with your spouse. Talk about this stuff. A little, couple little tips. Don't do it right before you eat dinner because usually you're hungry and agitated. I'm talking about myself. And don't do it at 10 o'clock at night. That's the other time not to do it because you want to sleep well that night. So, but plan a time, pick a time to sit down and, and talk through some of this stuff. Listen, I must say what I said last week. You guys, you guys, I'm, when, when Chandra put these numbers together, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, even coming out of summer, 94%. Summer's usually a, a little bit of a slump. Uh, you guys are doing an exceptional job. And I, I just, I really truly believe, and I feel like I've experienced this, that when we are actively living out what it means to be good stewards, God honors that. And there are some things that God pulls off. We talk about parking lots and roofs, and those are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that we're talking about. Those seem insurmountable now. But if we live out what it means to be good biblical stewards, all of a sudden watching God pull some amazing things off with faithfulness is, is really exciting to be a part of. And I'm jealous for you. I want us to experience that uh, together. So be thinking, be praying. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to end this message with the challenge that we had from last week. And I want us to stand and I want us to say this out loud. I want us to hear from Jesus because I'm going to tell you the truth. What he has to say about this is better than what I, anything that I would ever say. 
It's all about him. So would you read this out loud with me, Luke 12, 20, 32 through 34? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, we're so gracious for what you pour into our lives. Uh, and Father, my desire is that there's no guilt in this room today. I, I, I know that sometimes when I communicate, it might sound like that. So I pray that they've heard your voice today, not mine. Uh, this is not about me. So I want to make sure, Father, that we submit ourselves to you so that you might form us into the disciples that you desire for us to be, that you intend for us to be. And Father, we just went through a series about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works different fruit in our lives. And so uh, we trust in the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom in, in regards to this as well. We're not on our own to figure this out. You're active, you're alive in our midst, in our lives, in our church. And for that, Father, we are so grateful. This is not a dead church. This isn't a church, Father, that doesn't have a mission, that doesn't have a drive and a desire to, to make a huge impact that's transformational in this world. Father, this is one of those ingredients. So would you cha challenge my heart, continue to challenge me and my family, Father, to be the stewards that you've asked us to be and called us to be, and I pray that for all of us today, that you might use, Father, what you've placed into our lives to change lives for Jesus. That's what this is about. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. And hit up that coffee shop.